Hey, y'all, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources who remind you, you don't mom alone. In this episode, number 246, I'm chatting with my friend, Jenny B. And so my view of God as this impartial scientist has completely been turned on its head. And where I thought before that God was sovereign over the destination, I now see that God is sovereign in every step of the journey. He's not just withholding his approval until I do the right thing. He is there with me even in my mess ups because he loves me. And I feel the Lord shining on me. Like I feel him smiling and rejoicing over me with singing like you see in your podcast, Heather. Um, (laughs) It is. It is this beautiful experience of having been reduced to pretty much nothing and having all of my dreams destroyed to a place where God, where there was a broken house, like a broken building that was crumbled down to ruins. God is building a city on top of that very same spot. And he's using other people in the process of rebuilding. To some, Jenny is known as the Biz Maven. Today, she's coming on as a friend, sharing some of the harder parts of her story of rebuilding her life after an abusive marriage. We talk about the loss of community and friendships that followed her painful divorce and fleeing with her children, the guilt and the shame that threatened to hold her captive. Thankfully, her story did not end there, and she's now three years later walking with God in a deeper way than she thought possible. She's finding freedom through healing, and in her hardest places, God has been faithful. Like she said in that clip earlier, she's also going to share more things about what she's learned about God's character along the way. I know that this topic may be triggering for some of you. You may be walking through a similar situation, and I want you to know that you are seen and that you are not alone. And if you need more help, we've put some links in the show notes to resources, including a link to the National Domestic Violence Hotline and the support group that Jenny mentions in this episode. And next week, we will have an episode solely dedicated to the topic. I've interviewed the CEO of a local women's shelter here in Dallas, and she is going to advise us as friends and those in abusive relationships. So stay tuned for that next Monday. But on Sunday, it's your day, Mother's Day, and we are going to celebrate you. I asked you how you want your people to celebrate you, and it was hilarious. This was on Insta Stories. So many of you want to be left alone. The irony, the Don't Mom Alone podcast, and you're like, leave me alone. (laughs) You all don't want to cook, clean, answer questions, and I hope that you let your people know so that you're not disappointed. Set the expectations right away. Uh, How I want to celebrate you is with a mom-amazing giveaway. I want to give you house cleaning, a free dinner, Starbucks, a Yeti with a Don't Mom Alone logo on it. I'm working on that one. A Don't Mom Alone tea from Sweet Teas, a daily joy prayer guide from Rad Joy, because we know we cannot do this mom thing without prayer and God's ultimate help and guidance in all that we do. I'm also going to give you several books from different authors I've had on the show or some that I even haven't even interviewed that just amazing resources. And I'm going to give you a copy of my friend Carolyn Cobb's new single, The Wonder. You can hear a clip of that at the end of the show. All of this goes to one lucky mom. All you have to do to enter is go to the site, olaheather.com. Ola, spelled with an H, like Heather, H-O-L-A, Ola. It's the Spanish word for hello. Hi, Heather, basically. So olaheather.com, you go there, you put in your email address, you will be entered to win this amazing giveaway. And uh, because you put your email in there, you're gonna start hearing from me every week with the latest podcast episodes, some of my favorite things, and just a way for us to stay connected without relying on silly social media. When my phone was stolen, I was made very aware of how dependent I was on these things, and it's just not the best way to connect with y'all. So go to olaheather, H-O-L-A, heather.com to sign up to win this amazing giveaway. It's gonna run all week. Giveaway ends Friday, May 10th at midnight. You have to be over 18 and in the continental U.S. to enter. And I will let the winner know via email. Okay, happy Mother's Day, moms. You are so needed in this world, truly. 
Think about the cornerstone you are to our culture. I'm so thankful for you. All right, let's get to my chat with Jenny. Here we go. Hey, Jenny, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Heather, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Well, <laughs> since the moment we met, I think we were sisters from another mister. Like True story. The, the, <laughs> the silly mixed with the serious, mixed with the goofy. I mean, I really, really am thankful that God allowed you to cross my path at Declare this last year. Absolutely. It's yeah, it was kind of strange when I when I met you in person. I did not know just how off the beaten path your personality is, just like mine. So <laughs> there was there a kinship and just this like quirkiness. Um, Jenny, you are the quote unquote blog maven, just like I am the quote unquote God centered mom. Uh, but there's so much more to you and your story, and I'm thrilled that you're coming here to share it with my listeners. And I think you know, where I typically have guests introduce us to their family, I think we're just going to jump into your story and that will introduce us to your family. So you vulnerably shared with me and you're willing to share with those who are listening some of your story to getting to where you are today uh, as a single mom to four. Can you tell us how, how that came to be and the journey that you've been on the last three plus years? Absolutely. So in March 2016, my divorce was final and it was a battle and a struggle. And it was really a moment of looking around me and realizing that everything I had been building and building and building had burned to the ground. Hmm. And, you know, thinking back on the, the bright eyed, just energetic, enthusiastic young bride that I had been 10 years before that, I had such big plans. And I was in the, the like lifer circle where, you know, I do is forever and just planning, keeping my, my head down and just working really hard at being the best possible wife that I could be. Mm. And I was smart. I was intelligent. I had, um, a couple of master's degrees to my name. I've just am this avid learner, but it turned out that no matter how much I strove and tried to bring to the table. And I mean, oh gosh, just dozens of marriage books and trying to get, um, trying to get my husband into counseling to work through some addiction issues and what turns out to be abuse issues. There came a point where I realized it was killing me. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely killing me. And I did not like the woman I had become. I have four children and I, you know, was, was trying every single day to be a really awesome mom. I'd really built my identity around it. I'm, I'm a homeschooling mom. I have been since the very beginning, but I definitely subscribed to this whole, you know, no matter what the other person does, you are responsible for your part. And so just do it to the best and leave the rest to God and the Holy spirit. But 10 years of really just endurance through something incredibly difficult had taught me that it it wasn't all up to me, that no matter what kind of a perfect wife I was, and I mean, Stepford wife, I look back on it now and, <laughs> and realize, you know, I have nothing to regret. I really did my very, very, very best. All of these issues, you can probably hear in my voice, just, I came into March, 2016 in the standing in the middle of an exploded minefield and looking around at all the things I had tried to build and just mourning, oh my goodness, the, the incredible loss. And I'm here with my four children um, at that time. My oldest was nine years old and my youngest was an infant and trying to look around and say, okay, I'm in the middle of ruins and so what next? And I found myself in the position of being the sole breadwinner, you know, not to go into any details, but some women, when they um, exit situations like that, have some cushion. I did not. I had no cushion. I had my career to fall back on, which I had built an online community, online business. I was doing uh, web design at the time. So I had I had an income, which is amazing. It's so much better than a lot of women find themselves in. But as far as like I lost all of my friends, all of them, mm-hmm. um, my family had not even known. I had kept it so well hidden in the name of 
you know, trying to honor my husband and respect him above all other people. And so that my, my own family felt in a way like I had deceived them because they had no clue the extent of what was going on in my personal life. So no friends. Um, I lost my church in the process. Um, and I had to move. I was in a dangerous situation and I had to, I had to go into hiding for a while. And meanwhile, you know, a family that I had been almost estranged from for 10 years, because that's one of the, the things that abusers do. They um, isolate a lot. And so I was at this place of just having to get to know my family again and really try to build everything from the ground up. So I was here in a new state, um, new place to live, no friends, no church, and really had to start again from the beginning. But I think the biggest struggle for me is I did not know who I was. I had gone straight from just a bright-eyed and bushy-tailed graduate school student, and I was planning at that time on living in West Africa, and, um, you know, circumstances being what they were, I ended up teaching on the Navajo reservation and it was like this exciting new prospect, but I went straight from a difficult childhood to graduate school where, you know, college graduate school where you're, you really are figuring out who you are, but I hopped straight into marriage. And as part of that, you know, being with somebody who really does not love or care about the person that you are, only what they want you to be. I was lost. I had no idea who I was. So even more than all the external circumstances, I had all of these really misguided views about who I was, about who God was, yeah. um, but also having to navigate a brand new role as leader of this tiny little tribe of kids who are depending on me. Mm. First of all, thank you for sharing what I'm sure brings up a lot of hard memories and moments and that isolation while you're in a marriage of abuse and um, addiction and then the isolation of starting new. You know, the show is now Don't Mom Alone. And I'm sure uh, there were many days that you felt that you were alone, even though you know in your head that God's with you, your heart uh, was grieving the loss of so many relationships and you and I kind of mentioned it before we got on, but I'm guess did you grow up in the church because you said you were in a church and and how did what you had been taught growing up about marriage and just uh, a lot of the conversations we have about marriage in the church influence you or add to more negative feelings when your marriage ended? That's a great question. So I did grow up in the church, um, Presbyterian to be exact. And <laughs> USA which, or aren't there like two? There's two PC. Different. It was PCA, PCA, PCA which okay. is the the more conservative of yeah. those two. Yeah. And I really grew up with a passion for God. I was saved when I was um, eleven years old. I just I really connected with God at that point and just was on fire for Christ. And I. I went in, though, to Christianity thinking that God was very much like my father, because, of course, that's where we all get our our first conceptions of what a father is like. Mm. And so it, I grew up in a very rule following household where the, the things that are on the inside, you know, what I would hear constantly was don't do as I do, do as I say. Um, so lots of control, lots of shame, lots of judgment. And inside church, I really loved it because you know, as a, a rule follower, it was easy for me to be a good Christian. And, you know, having daily quiet times from when I was a tween, um, I don't think that was a word back then. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's a new word in the that's English book. Word, yeah. But you yeah. were that age. Yeah, I was. I was. And then, you know, I at one point I wanted to be a missionary and um, doing taking my language skills and wanting to do Bible translation. So like I my heart was all in for God. But I was I grew up in a church where, you know, the, the only people in our church really were the married ones. And I've, I've realized now that the reason is divorced people a lot of times have to leave the church. Mm. Um, that makes my heart really sad. That makes yeah, my heart really sad. It is. And and the elders of my church growing up. So I think as you can, I kind of foreshadowed in, in what we talked about a minute ago, my childhood was really difficult and my dad was extremely abusive. 
And I watched my mom struggle through there and she tried to go through all the proper channels, you know, appealing to the elders, trying to get them to come and talk to him and, you know, false shows of repentance, but just, it was like a broken record. It it never stopped. And my mom ended up shamed and blackballed herself because of her difficult marriage. And so for her, I watched her struggle and, you know, the, the women in the church really did not have a whole lot to say. It seemed more about the show, you know, mm-hmm. putting on this perfect facade instead of really caring about the individual person. So mm-hmm. in my church, it was it was not the direct message, but definitely it was the undercurrent of everything is God loves marriage. God loves marriage. And the thing that's unspoken in that is maybe God loves marriage more than the individual's in the marriage. Mm. And this is a, a held belief you're having in your heart. Even though your mind might know differently, this is what's what you're going into your new marriage with. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I when I went into my marriage, I was going to do things differently, you know, mm-hmm. by God. <laughs> I'm going to you know, I'm going to pray enough and I'm going to um, you know, do devotions and be in small groups. And I'm going to like all the Christian activities that I could, you know, making sure that I was, I was praying at all times and just staying connected to God and the Holy Spirit. But that did not change. I'm sure it strengthened who I was inside, but it did not change the fact that my external circumstances were absolutely crushing. And so I had, there's so much shame around divorce in the church. And there was a lot of, at this time in the early 2000s, you know, there were entire books that were published about the role of the woman in the marriage. And some of them are a little less judgy McJudge pants. I'm thinking of, (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking of, um, what is it? Honor and love and respect or something. Oh, Um, uh, Emerson. Agarich. Yeah. Yeah. There, so there, there are some of those that, that don't directly, you know, shame either person in the marriage, but I was also like, I was so lost and upside down in what to do. I was reading all these books that were like how to be the perfect wife basically. And within those evangelical circles, there's so much shame and there's so much responsibility put a hundred percent on the shoulders of the woman that like your job is to respect and to uphold and to encourage her and to love covers a multitude of sins to cover all the sins. And I'm sure that that works totally fine in a partnership where you've got two people under the headship of Jesus Christ who are wanting to please and obey him and serve each other. But when only one person is doing that, it just opens the gates wide for rampant abuse in a relationship. And if you're under the belief that you need to do your part to make this work and then you get to the place that it didn't work, you're left with emotions of guilt and shame. So in this March of 2016, as you're isolated from relationships, as you're figuring out who you are, as you're looking around at these four kiddos, as you're looking at your financial situation, how did you untangle yourself from all of those emotions and I'm just thinking you didn't even have the outside voices to speak truth to you. I did not. You're absolutely right. I think um, this was a time I was actually in hiding for six weeks because I, it was a dangerous situation. Did you have full custody? I did not have full custody. And so by taking my kids into hiding, I was breaking divorce agreements Which again, as a rule follower, that was terrifying because I was hiding my children and I just had to trust that, you know, even though I didn't have bruises on my face, that if, if I had to bring it, like when, when it went to court, because I knew it was going to go to court because abusers do not stop until they win. When I knew it was going to go to court, I just had to just kind of trust that even though I didn't have any photographs of bruises to show that they would be able to read the words that he had written and see the threats, like the the very physical threats against my bodily person and just know that at least they would see why, at least they would see why I was in hiding. So yeah, I was completely isolated, cut off from the rest of the world. And during that time, though, I mean, I had severe 
depression and fear and anxiety. And I went at least three of those six weeks sleeping between 30 and 60 minutes a night. My body would not let me rest. It was it was a state of trauma that I was in. But during those times, I said, okay. I mean, I, I had made this trust fall into the arms of God and said, God, I trust that even if this is wrong, even if it's wrong to leave my husband, even if it's wrong to get a divorce, I trust that you're there for me and that you will catch me. And so I, I made this free fall and that, but that's when I found him, when I stopped caring about whatever else I would lose. And I just, you know, naked and unashamed presented myself to God, who's the great healer. So during this time in the middle of the night, I mean, I spent hours and hours praying and like in a hot bathtub because, you know, if I couldn't sleep, at least I could try to rest, get recharged, relaxed and lots of praying, lots of going deep in God's word. I got streams in the desert, which I had not read. It's a devotional. I had not read it since just since so I was a teenager, I think. But I found like every single morning when I woke up and I started my time, I had a ritual like I would have a candle and my tea. I, I had some um, special tea that I bought that was just for me that self felt like, OK, this is this is just for me. It's not for my kids, not for anybody else. And I would open God's word and I would open streams in the desert. And without fail, God met me there every single day. And I'm talking about like my eyes were open to who God was in a way that I have never experienced before. And I've got these crazy stories about during those quiet times, getting a random text, sometimes from people I did not even know, texting me some of the verses that were in that morning's quiet time. Wow. And and some people, you know, I I was trying to I was trying to visit new churches, just trying to to get to connect somewhere. And when I I found the church that God was leading me to for that period, getting text messages from a, a woman that was there, and everything was coming together. This is like I never experienced the Holy Spirit like moving and flowing in such a deep and powerful way. So I was at rock bottom. But in a sense, I have never been more alive to the spirit of God than I was then. And that lasted that period of just intense awakening and growth and like, I don't know, active peace that lasted for well over a year. So at the very bottom, I found Jesus. Yeah. And this is the reminder, right? In the state where we're striving and we're doing our best effort and we're working and we're thinking that we're going to create this outcome that we believe is best in the place of completely not our dream, completely not what we would choose, completely not able to orchestrate an outcome is where we're fully dependent. And then God shows up in this supernatural way that we can't describe. And then you think of the person who texted you, how they had to take a hot second (laughs) and surrender to the Holy Spirit to be that for you in a place of isolation and and just coming to truly grasp who God was uh, for you, that they got to be a piece of that, even if you're listening and you're not the one who's working through um, a divorce or being a single parent, that you could be the one who God uses to be that source of encouragement, to be open to that, that we need to be in the words ourselves. We need to be connecting with the Holy Spirit so we can be that body of Christ lifting each other up. Yes. Okay. So you're in this place, these four kids, you're still homeschooling, which (laughs) everyone's going to be like, Jenny, come on. Because I'm crazy. Because you're a nut. No, we're not calling homeschool moms nuts or crazy, but some would, some would say, I'll I'll own it. (laughs) Some would say, how does she do that? If she needs to be the primary, it's because your, your work is online. Yes. Yeah. Do you feel like by homeschooling, you were able to repair a lot of relationship that had been damaged in those 10 years? Or what What were some reasonings behind continuing to homeschool in this season? I think the biggest thing, Heather, was that I knew that changes of any kind, even, even from bad to better, right? changes of any kind are so traumatic for children. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I know that at the other house that they are going to, there is upheaval and chaos and ugliness and, you know, name calling and just so much toxic stuff. I said that the probably the worst thing that I could do now is we'd been homeschooling all the way up to that point and would be to both, you know, change our living situation and move to a new place where, you know, they, they lost their friends in right. this whole process. We right. had other families that we were very connected to and lost those relationships. I, I thought the worst thing that I could do for them right now would be to also introduce them to a classroom setting, which was very, very foreign. Like we don't, we don't do homeschool, like school at home. Homeschool for us is very like close knit and relationship based and lots of reading on the couch and lots of poetry tea times. And it's cozy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I thought sending them to the cinder block walls surrounded by other people from totally different backgrounds of their age, that would be really, really hard. And so even though I was only barely financially scraping by, cause you know, mentally I'm trying to hold myself together and to be being a leader to my clients and, and also trying to hold together the, the family unit here, none of it was going to be ideal, but I, you know, I honestly came to God and I said, Lord, you know, my heart and you know that I still want to homeschool my kids. I still want to show up every day and do life with them. And so father, if like, I'm open to the possibility of sending them away. Like if that's another thing I have to let go of, like, this is yours, Lord. Right. right. But if you don't want me to homeschool, then please, Lord, make it so hard that I cannot continue or like make it like dry sawdust in my mouth. So there is no longer any joy in it. Like if, if you don't want me to do it, take away the desire and the passion. Mm. And he didn't. So I kind of, it really was a daily process of working like one, one foot in front of the other, just saying, who am I going to be when I show up for my kids today? So I did continue in homeschooling my kids and, you know, fast forward, we're three years post-divorce. I'm still homeschooling my kids. how old are they now? We haven't said that. Yeah. So I've got a 10 year old boy, uh, sorry, 12 year old boy, a 10 year old girl, seven year old girl and four year old girl. Three girls and a boy. Yes, ma'am. That's, I mean, homeschooling girls, I feel like I could do that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, You mentioned really quickly, but I'm guessing this is something that's hard for other single parents out there. You mentioned that you wanted them to have some stability and some connectedness and not have more trauma because the other home they were going to was not peaceful. Talk to us about the challenges um, or any tips or comfort you can give to the mom who is sharing custody and knowing that for whatever the weekend or a week or whatever the arrangement is, they're going to be in a scenario that um, you don't have control over or what they're going to be exposed to. How do you work through that? You know, Heather, I think it's something that all mothers have to face eventually. This idea that our like letting our children go and trusting God with their protection and with their care and with their nourishment. Like that's something that all moms have to go through. And for a lot of moms, it doesn't happen until like 18 and packing bags and walking out the door to go to college. Yep. For me, it happened when my oldest was nine years old. So I kind of had it in perspective that this is, this is nothing unusual. Like all moms have to do this and I'm not ready, but I don't know if anybody's ever ready. So one of the really difficult things, especially early on, was my kids reeling like in their own transitions. And of course, you know, transitioning entire lives, that's hard, but also transitioning between parents' houses is very, very hard for them. Yeah. And so I would pick them up early on a Monday morning, um, you know, driving an hour and a half to go meet and pick up the children at a police station for safety and protection and then driving my kids home. And like they had a lot of detoxing to do on the way home and and that day. So the first day back I'm at early on, it took about three days for my children to stop calling each other names and stop belittling and putting each other down and fighting. And oh my word, like their little less than lovely selves would come out. And I had to realize that this is, this is like, 
you know, kind of like detoxing when all the yuck comes out of your pores. This was like life detoxing every time I would pick them up. So it was taking about three days. And during those times, I would say, you know, and I am going to guarantee almost that in those three days, we're going to get very little of what looks like school done. Like trying to, to get your son who hates math to do his math problems and have a decent attitude about it while he's also reeling from this transition, it's not going to happen. And so after a couple of times of trying to force the issue, I learned actually a friend of mine was like, Jenny, to like take off the pressure. They need healing as much as you have needed healing in this entire process. They need like these, these small bits of just remembering what it feels like to be a family and remembering what it's like, like who they are as they're showing up in a family that loves and supports and encourages each other. So as that became more normal over time, now we still have, I would love to say that I pick them up and everything's just like clockwork, you know, when they come back home, it's not that way now. Um, But now we're down to about a half a day. There's about a half a day where I know that on the way home, we need to stop for a hike and spend time in nature. Or we need to just curl up on the couch with hot chocolate and read books together. And so putting my scholastic agenda on hold and really prioritizing those relationships, that has been huge. And my kids are so much healthier now than they were, you know, just a couple of years ago. That's really good. And so you guys are getting into this rhythm of what life looks like. How do you prioritize, you kind of mentioned the tea and your own special things that you do so that you are getting the care that you need so that you can take care of your four kids. What advice do you have for the other single mom or single parent out there who is just pouring themselves out a lot of the time doing the role of two parents? What what help do you have or tips do you have? So as single parents, we are juggling all the things, hashtag all the things all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I think the first thing is really kind of to trust that the way I feel right now, because, you know, early on in that process, it is incredibly painful. Like just doing normal things will have a will trigger a, a negative memory or like your children will say something that is just like, you know, it's almost like the spark on a can of gasoline. So taking the space to say, what are my biggest priorities? Like what are the musts and what else can I let go until it's time to put them back in? So simplifying for me was, is, was huge and saying, you know, like I talked about a minute ago with scholastic versus more family-based stuff, I determined that based on my own priorities, there was a lot of stuff I was going to let go. In fact, almost all of it, knowing that, you know, there would be a time and a space when I could add it back in. So I think getting clear on what are the most important non-negotiable things and how you're going to show up as a parent will give you the breathing space to let a lot of other things go. And yeah, they, they, they may be really good things, but if you are just about to crack under the burden of all these new responsibilities, you've got to let most of it go. And my kids don't look back on that time three years ago as a time of complete upheaval and chaos because... I took most of the pressure off simply by by putting it on the shelf for a while. I think that a big thing that single parents face is with the added just logistical responsibilities that you have. And I was really I was really grateful that I had gotten advice as an, as a young mom about teaching kids to help as much as they could. You know, I got some advice from a lady who had six children when I only had one. And she said, as early as you can, train them to do the jobs that they are capable of. And when when a younger child comes along who is capable of that, have the older sibling train the younger sibling. Even at the point, even, you know, three years ago, going into this new situation, I already did have kids who could do their own laundry. Um, I had kids who could make breakfast um, when my oldest was nine years old. I had kids who would take out the trash and like we we had normal family duties that meant that it did not all fall onto me, which was just incredible because I would have probably lost my mind if I had had to, <laughs> if I yeah. had to try to do all the things. Teaching kids to help, it was a great strength that I already had. I didn't even know that I had it going into that situation, but I would say as advice, find the things, whatever you can assign to the children in a joyful, loving way. Um, what can you take off of your plate that a child can do? And just in very, very practical terms, for me, that looked like cleaning bathrooms 
And that looked like laundry. And that looked like doing the dishes. Um, the things that freed me up to enjoy my children more and take more of a director role instead of being like the on the ground grunt work all the time. And then, you know, trying to find outside help with children. I'm, you know, working, obviously. And so I had to carve out space in my budget as much as I would have loved, loved, loved to had somebody in my house cleaning, uh, even like once a month, that was not in the budget. But what I did do is I found a 14 year old who I could pay, you know, kind of minimally who could come and watch the children. And during that time I was working and I was getting things going. So like that would keep that, it would keep the financial engine of my household going. I had to let a lot of things go with that too. I said, I really don't like having to have a babysitter with my kids. Like, isn't that why I homeschool in the first place? But I was able to go to work, get my stuff done, know, like have the peace of mind that they're being taken care of. And that when I get back and plug myself in, I won't also be trying to, you know, schedule blog posts or check my phone or, you know, I I won't be doing two things at once. When I'm mom, I'm mom. And when I'm working, I'm working. So one question I have for you, you know, this podcast, we're talking about community a lot and friendships. And I've heard from friends of mine that are single parents that one thing that gets kind of lost or left behind is that community aspect. Because if they're not at work, they're with their kids. And if they have been, let's, I mean, you're working from home, but if they've been working outside the home, the last thing they want to do is then leave their kids again to go to a church event, to be in community with people or a Bible study um, or a girls night out. Those aren't as appealing to them because they, they want to maximize the time that they are home. How have you found an ability to stay connected with other women in relationships and in your church? How has that worked out for you? That's an awesome question. So my real life community is pretty small. For a while, we were in a homeschool co-op that would at least allow me to, you know, talk to other people over the age of 20 and just get some regular, like no (laughs) stress friendship, adult time. Yes. Oh, my word. Um, People talk about homeschoolers being unsocialized and I'm like, they're, they're socialized. What about the mothers? Like we need mother homeschool socialization. (laughs) Um, so we we did join a co-op. We we joined a classical conversations co-op for the first two years. Um, and that gave us just a regular way to interact with other people. So my kids in community, me in community with uh, like centered around my children. So I I was kind of building into our process a way for me and my kids to both get the social thing at the same time. I also like Wednesday nights. If you live in the South, you know that Wednesday nights are church nights. Okay. So on Wednesday nights, I went ahead and enrolled my children in a local in the Awana program at my church, knowing that, you know, I wasn't there necessarily because I thought that they were going to receive their spiritual formation there, but they were going to get to play with other with other kids doing activities. Um, I knew it was going to be a really healthy and fun environment for them to be in. And I joined the choir. So I did something that I loved. I love to sing. I've been singing since I was like a two-year-old sitting on the toilet. Um, (laughs) But that's something that, that brings me alive singing. And especially the part, the performance part, that is something that I like, it absolutely fills me. And so having the kids at church while they're doing Awana and I'm with other adults in the choir, that was awesome. Um, The other thing though, is, you know, when you don't have your kids, because if you've got some sort of a shared custody situation, you don't have them a hundred percent of the time. And I learned to really set aside that time that I did not have my children to pour back into myself. So I took, um, for one like six week period on Saturdays, I was taking a pottery class even though I had, you know, I had lots of work, lots of other things I had to get done. I prioritized like pottery at one point. And during another time, I just made sure that I I would schedule a breakfast. We would eat like I would set up times with ladies in the church and we'd just meet at Panera Bread and hang out. Um, so even though it wasn't like a daily thing where, oh, I've got these fabulous friendships um, and we've, you know, we're, we're doing life together. It's a community. I did carve out the spaces that I was able and I made a habit of them. But I think that really the other piece of that was because you you don't go deep with everybody. And especially me, I'm a person who has a couple 
friends, like a couple, two, <laughs> maybe, maybe three tops that are close and that know all the, the ugly and really know, know who I am and love me because of it. And in spite of it, you know what I mean? Yeah. But a big piece of my healing has been in a support group. And so there's an online support group for women who are some in, some who have already left, some who are trying to get out of abusive relationships, specifically Christian women, women of faith. It's called Flying Free. And I, w- I was in that support group starting about six months after the divorce. And it was so like way, way, way better than any time I could have spent in counseling, working through stuff one-on-one was just the validation and listening to other women's stories and realizing, because when, when I, you know, when my marriage ended, I was still really upside down, really upside down in, in what exactly had happened. It was like, I gotten hit by a train and like, well, what, what was, what was that? that? Yeah. Yeah. But you can see so many things in other people that you can never see yourself because you're just too close to it. Mm-hmm. And so being a part of, of this online support group was just, I mean, I grew leaps and bounds and I've gotten so much healing. And it was, it's a kind of a neat part of my journey of healing post-divorce too, is, you know, you start out as the one who, who needs all the time, who needs to send like an ugly text message that they get and to help other people say like, what, what the heck just happened here? <laughs> um, like, so going from the one who always needs support and feedback and confirmation and help like strategizing for lack of a better word to, you know, growing up and growing into your own strengths and being able to turn back around and give that back to other people. So the time that I spend in that support group, I'm still a member years later, but the time that I spent on that support group now is mostly I'm the one doing the ministering. I'm the one listening and giving feedback and encouraging. So you know, way more than any kind of structural institution that you know purports to help single people, I would say that just being, finding a way, whether it's online or offline to meet and be around other women who have gone through what you're going through, who are in the middle of it, or it's in the past or whatever, just having the group of women who love Jesus, but are wrestling with really, really hard things. That has been absolutely critical for me. And I think honestly, it's one of the reasons that, that I got healthy, like, well, just feeling amazing so soon. I would say that, you know, from the time that I started that to the time where I felt like a functioning human being who was capable of doing this thing, it was probably three or four months, honestly. Oh, Jenny, so many great tips. But what I love about what you're sharing is the intentionality, the thinking through your own specific heart desires, your own specific needs, and making space and time and and sorting through how to meet those needs. I think it's an encouragement to other women that they can do that too, that they're not their story is not going to look exactly like yours, their answers aren't going to be exactly like yours, but that they can take the reins and make a life that is beautiful and supportive and healing, I think is a real encouragement. Really, you know, when I first, um, when I even in the process of trying to trying to get out, trying to figure out what what I was going to do, there was so much fear there, mm-hmm. and um, you know, afraid of doing things wrong, afraid of messing my children up, and I at that time I had this view of God as very kind of like the the impartial analyst, like the the man in the lab coat who's got his arms crossed and he's got his clipboard and he's, he's standing down, like taking notes over which way you go. Like if you're the lab rat in the maze Mm -hmm. and wanting to do this right, like wanting to, to be successful in this thing. But I almost felt subconsciously like God was only sovereign over the ending. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, like I'm in this by myself, but I've got to figure out how to get to that the good marriage and that story of, you know, and this is another place where so much shame comes up for women of like when people are celebrating 30 years and of marriage and, and really saying that the only way God is going to be pleased with me, like just trying to seek God's approval Mm -hmm. and post-divorce. Like if you had told me, I mean, like nine years earlier when the stuff started to hit the fan, if you had told me that that I could be so 
healthy and free and just loving my life and being able to show up for my children to be so connected to the Lord and to like the way the Holy Spirit is working in other women, like way outside of myself. If I could have had a little glimpse, you know, it probably would have changed everything. I probably would not have spent 10 years of, of hardship and trial, but coming out the other side, I am so healthy. I'm doing so well. And my children are as well. And so my view of God as this impartial scientist has completely been turned on its head. And where I thought before that God was sovereign over the destination, I now see that God is sovereign in every step of the journey. He's not just withholding his approval until I do the right thing. He is there with me even in my mess ups because he loves me. He didn't love my marriage more than he loved me. He loves me. And so a, a huge part of my own growth and my own awakening and the way God is, is working in my life now is knowing God, you know, knowing who he is, knowing what he's like. And even if I, I went from having probably, you know, quote, perfect theology before um, where I like tons and tons of head knowledge to now I know him and I can sense, I can sense like, what does the Lord think about this? Like, hmm, God. And it's more of like an ongoing conversation. It's not like rigid, like here's my prayer times and here's my, got to make sure I check off this box. It's just, it is a day-to-day walk. And I feel the Lord shining on me. Like I feel him smiling and rejoicing over me with singing, like you see in your podcast, Heather. (laughs) Um, It is, it is this beautiful experience of having been reduced to pretty much nothing and having all of my dreams destroyed to a place where God, where there was a broken house, like a broken building that was crumbled down to ruins. God is building a city on top of that very same spot. And he's using other people in the process of rebuilding. I'm going to clap because that was amazing. That was awesome. (laughs) Oh, Jenny, thank you so much for being with us today and letting us walk alongside you. Um, I will put links so people can connect with you online. And I know you're not a social media girl, so they can find your site. Um, (laughs) uh, But thank you really, truly. I know there were a lot of women that were encouraged and it's just helpful to get insight on where others' minds are. And if if their scenario isn't divorce and an abusive marriage, I'm sure there are other scenarios where we are misinterpreting who God is and other women who have seen him like you saw him and have been encouraged to keep pushing through and seeing him how he really is. So thank you for that so much. Thank you, Heather. It has really been an amazing experience to be able to share this whole long (laughs) story that God's writing here. You're just getting started, girl. Just getting started. Jenny is so right in saying that at some point in our motherhood journey, we have to recognize that these children have never been ours and that this story does not belong to us and that what's most important is our individual connection with God, recognizing his vast love for us and his desire to rescue and to save us from ourselves. I am going to pray for you real quick because I don't know what this brought up for you, whether you are familiar with abuse or not. So let me pray over us. Lord, I thank you for Jenny. I want to pray a blessing over her. I pray that she would continue to find your comfort and your love and peace in her circumstances. I pray for her next steps. I pray for continued provision for her family. I thank you for the ability you've given her to live out the different assignments she feels called through um, homeschooling or whatever they have been called to do and to live, that you would continue to direct her steps. I pray for the person listening, that they would find a deeper connection with you, God, that you would break through any lies they're believing about who you are, that you would give them the support to walk through whatever hard place they're in right this second, that you would give them the boldness to talk to one person if they're just starting to realize that that something is not right, something is not right, that they would just be bold to share with one person and to reach out and to overcome the shame and the guilt they may be feeling. I pray for that one person to listen, that if we are the one that someone comes to, that we can be receptive ears and tender hearts, and that we can be present for people 
especially in this month that has just gone mad with places to be and things to do to end a school year. I pray that we could be present people who hear each other's burdens, who listen to the heart behind the words, and that we can be the ones who love well. I pray for each mom represented here that she would know how deeply you love her, that she doesn't have to get it right today, that she isn't a failure, that she is so loved by you without any performance needed. I thank you, God, for this opportunity to come before you. I pray that you would continue to guide us each step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I want to share, this is the last part of Carolyn's song, The Wonder. Um, she's kind of walked through different parts in the song, and this is how she ended. And I think it, it's fitting with how we hold loosely our kids and hope that they understand the depth of God's love for them. Don't forget to enter the amazing giveaway over at olaheather.com. Ola, H, like Heather, olaheather.com. All right. Y'all have a fabulous week. Adios. to one.